This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grinnell to Dogman.com with Chris Fatters, Scott Eklund, Saturday morning, Dogman Radio, and Washington kicks off at 4.30 this evening against Utah. We'll be broadcast on Big Boy TV on ABC Channel 4 for those in Seattle. But a big day tonight for, big night tonight for Washington going into their third game of the year. And just a reminder, tonight, big, big, big fight. Nate Robinson versus Jake Paul, Logan Call, Paul, some YouTube influencer, so... Uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr., of course, the main, the main card, and that's a pay-per-view, but, uh, I, for one, am a little bit interested in seeing what goes on with Nate, cause, I don't know, who wants to fight a crazy man, and Nate is crazy, but, uh, 4.30 game, and yesterday, you know, Chris, we were scrambling a little bit. We started hearing rumors of some positive COVID tests with the Utah team. There were some reports out of Utah that the game might not be played, but, uh, got a little bit, I don't know if scare is the right word, but we were definitely scrambling for a little bit yesterday morning. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been just a crazy week. And, I, you know, we go back and people can certainly listen to the, the podcast that we did a few days ago, kind of outlining what was going on the early part of the week. But you knew it was going to be nuts when the day before Thanksgiving, we're talking to Jimmy Lake and it's the only time we get to talk to anybody. We, we didn't talk to any players this week. We didn't talk to any assistant coaches. It was just Jimmy Lake, the one time only, and that was it. Um, so yeah, so that was crazy enough on its own. But then when he sits there and he tells us that at, at the, at one time this week, he, he had four depth charts in front of him. Now we can guess which ones they are. I think it's pretty, pretty firm that we can assume BYU was one of them. Utah was one of them. San Diego State was one of them. Cause they, it sounds like Jen Cohen had a contract ready with San Jose State or San, uh, San Diego State ready to go at any time. And then also it sounds like Colorado, I would think would be the fourth one. But when you have four depth charts sitting there right on your desk and you're going, what, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to plan? Yet to find out at the same breath that once the Utah game got scheduled with Washington, that essentially they didn't miss hardly any time at all this week because they don't practice on Mondays. And then on Tuesday, Jimmy Lake made the decision that they were going to game plan for Utah. He took a bit of a risk, but he thought it was an educated risk and he turned out to be right. So in all of the confusion, in all the chaos, in all the questions as to who Washington was going to play or where they were going to play or whether it was going to be on Friday, Saturday, yep. Sunday, no one knew he made the right decision. They didn't miss any time practicing, which is kind of crazy enough, although obviously you have to make uh, accommodations for Thanksgiving. And then again, we have a game that is scheduled for 7.30. The, um, was it um – USC Colorado that was scheduled for that 4:30 time slot, Scott. Uh yes, I believe so. And no, then I think I, it was actually a different game. No, I think no. Was, yeah, I think it yeah. was. I think I think it was out of the conference. I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was either. I think it was maybe Oklahoma West Virginia. I or, think that's it. It was Oklahoma West Virginia. That game gets canceled. Washington moves. When was the last time they were on prime time? I mean, that's prime time on ABC. But uh, this is a big, high-profile game for University of Washington, Scott. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's a big game for them. Now, on the national stage, it might not be because the fact that Utah is, um, uh, Utah is unranked. Washington is unranked. They, they don't have, um, really the cachet right now that, uh, some of these other programs do nationally and everything, but it is in the middle of prime time. It's 730 East Coast time, East Coast time, 430 our time out here. Huge game for Washington to showcase what they have going on, not just for the national pundits, because I really don't think 
any Pac-12, I know, and I know Chris was out on uh, Twitter trying to make a case for any Pac-12 team to make it in the in the uh, playoff, but I don't think any Pac-12 team, especially with Oregon now losing, not that I thought Oregon was the best team in the conference, but I did think that from a national perspective they were the best team in the conference, and without with them losing last night, we can get into that a little bit later, but with them losing last night, no Pac-12 team is probably going to make it into the playoffs. So this really isn't from a, a national pundit standpoint where you want to boost your stock with them, but you want to boost your stock with recruits. You want to boost your stock nationally for next year, giving people an idea of what this team can be in under under a Jimmy Lake regime. And um, this is huge for them to be able to get out there and get in front of everybody. Scott, you talk about boosting your image with recruits. I thought of the Washington-Oregon State game. First game, just not – I mean, it was just kind of – I don't know if boring is the right way to describe that or not, but when you compare it to the second game, the first game sure seemed boring. And I think there's a lot on there to chew for guys like JT uh, Tuomalau, uh, Emeka uh, Egbuka. There's, they, they were just able to show so much more. How much of an impact do you think that has with – not only them being able to show what they're about and what they're going to be about, but uh, Oregon kind of falling on their face last night. Yeah, it doesn't have any impact with JT Tuimalau. He's not going to UW. It's, I mean, it's they aren't even in the conversation right now as a top three team for him. So um, from what I from what I've been told, it's it's pretty much over with from a Washington standpoint. That being said, Emeka Buka, oh yeah, it it definitely the Arizona game definitely showed him. What Washington's offense can be. You, you saw, you know, Dylan Morris in his first real chance to air the ball out, throw it down the field, and he made, and he took some shots and he missed them. But I mean, one of them was just barely out of the reach of Jalen McMillan. I think Jalen McMillan would say he should have made that catch. Jalen McMillan also should have made another catch, which was a challenged catch, but still should have made it. Um, and that would have been another long touchdown. So I think he saw what Washington's offense can be. And I hopefully, He'll see that tonight uh, when they take on Utah, as long as that game is played. And I think going forward over the next couple of weeks, I think that's going to be helpful as well for him to see those things. Oregon falling flat on their face. Eh, I don't. I don't know if it really impacts JT Tumalau from that point, uh, from that standpoint. And Emeka Egbuka had already eliminated Oregon, so it really doesn't help with him. But um, you know, it's look. His real, you know, JT Tumalau's uh, relationship with Joe Salavea goes back to his dad, his dad's, uh, I don't want to, is it a tribe? Is it, I, I don't know what it is, but they're from the same, basically, part of American Samoa. So that's where that goes back to. And I still think Ohio State is probably the team to beat for JT. Hey, Chris, back in the day when Oregon was running the uh, hurry-up offense or whatever they want to call it at the high speed and then everybody was trying to catch up, the one team in the conference that was different was Stanford. Stanford was running the power running game, and they were just out-physicaling everybody. Is Washington doing that a little bit right now, going with that power run game and just being a little bit different than everybody else by having that four-back stable back there? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think... Oregon State showed last night that they can they can put together a power running game when they need to, and Jamar Jefferson is is the premier running back in the conference right now. I think that's pretty easy to see. I think if you watched the the big game yesterday between Stanford and Cal, I think you saw Stanford kind of go back a little bit to their power run roots. Austin Jones had a great game. So I think there are teams out there that have that power run element. I haven't seen enough of Colorado yet to know if Carl Durrell is trying to, how much of a power run element he's trying to employ. But I think there's, there's systems out there that try to do that. Even, you know, even Utah to a certain extent, um, even though, you know, they're trying to do it more out of that spread and, and have more of that progressive style. You know, Zach Moss was a, you know, he was part of a big power run game there last year. And I'll be curious to see how much of that they, they try to employ tonight. But yeah, I, I think Washington might be unique only in the sense that, they they really want to possess the clock and they want to move the chains doing that. They're they're looking to pick their spots. And I think honestly, Kim, if if Dylan Morris had been able to connect a little earlier on some of those big shots, we wouldn't be maybe harping on this element as much because it, it's just standard 
old school football. You run, 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 and then when everybody cheats up front to try to stop the run, you go over the top. I mean, it's it's basic one on one stuff. And it, but yet it's that's the reason why people have been doing it forever is because it's so effective. And moving on to this Utah game today, Chris, they've lost a ton. This is this is a rebuild uh, year for Utah. Um, they they lost so much on the defensive side of the ball. They lost Zach Moss. They've lost their starting quarterback and bringing in the transfer from South Carolina. But um, it's going to be an interesting game because I'm not sure what to expect out of Utah. They've got one of the best coaches in the country and. You know, Kyle Whittingham, but uh, I, I think it'd be hard-pressed to anybody say that this is not a rebuild year for Utah. No, it's a huge rebuild. I mean, anybody that that uh, read what Dan Sorensen, the publisher of Zone, had to do when we did our kind of behind-enemy-lines, know-your-foe-style um, article, um, definitely talked about it in that way. I mean, you lose Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss right away. That's like Washington losing Jacob Eason. And Savon Ahmed last year, or hey, the just, year before. Hey, just real quick, Chris, with Tyler Huntley may start tomorrow in an NFL game. Yeah, no, I mean, it, but <laughs> what I'm saying is it's it's the it's the same as losing Eason and, and Ahmed last year, or the year before that, losing Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin. So you you lose the the real heartbeat of your your offense there. They still have some guys coming back along the offensive line, which I think may have at least from a Utah perspective, may have been the most disappointing thing about their loss to USC, the the one game they've played, is that you did bring back some guys along the offensive line that should have been able to help kind of pave the way for, for a decent run game, pass protect for whoever was back there. But you know what? I think I think there is something to the the effect of when you when you name a starter and he's a real young kid in Cameron Rising, um you know, and he goes out there and it looks like they're, they're going to do some things. They're moving a little bit and then he gets hurt and you're bringing in your backup. I don't care how experienced he is. And, and Jake Bentley's very, very experienced coming from South Carolina, started a lot of games there. But when you lose your, you lose your starting quarterback, I think he kind of takes the stuffing out of you a little bit and it takes you a little bit to kind of get back into it. And they were just never able to do that. Um, you know, they only had 111 yards rushing, but they lost 31 yards. I mean, they, they got sacked a bunch of times because USC was bringing all sorts of pressure. Um, 216 yards passing against USC's defense, which I don't think is great. Um, cause we saw, we saw Arizona, you know, slice and dice them up with Grant Cannell and Grant Cannell didn't do anything against Washington. So I'll be very curious to see what Jake Bentley does. Um, yeah. This this kind of lines up, Kim. This would have been a this would have been a much tougher game if there had been fans in the stands. The fact that there are going to be no fans in the stands tonight might be a bit of a neutralizer in Utah's favor. But if if we had been playing this game last year, this would have been the classic. You know, the fans are going to make it hell on a on a guy kind of making his first road start in a new conference kind of, you know, trying to get his feet underneath him, this would have been really, really rough. As it stands, it's going to be rough enough just going up against uh, a Washington defense and secondary that are playing at the top of their game right now. And, Scott, Utah has only been able to play one game. Of course, it was against USC, and I'm sure you had a chance to look at a little bit of that, but after reviewing that game, they didn't look as athletic as I've seen them in the past. They didn't look as fast as I've seen them in the past, and um, maybe that's because either – um, they're not as fast and they're not as athletic or that they've only played one game. But, um, yeah, they just, just, they just looked a step slow on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Well, let's, let's look at how Washington looked against the run against Oregon State, a team that they knew they could pack the middle against. And let's think about what they looked like in that time, in that first game against Oregon State. And then let's talk about um, what kind of an improvement Utah could make in this, in this second game. I think Utah is going to be much tougher, especially defensively, uh, coming up. Now they're going to be facing a completely different team in Washington than they did against USC. But, you know, I, I just, I watched them and their middle linebacker or their linebackers in general do not fly around like they were when Cody Barton was the guy running the middle. Who was Cody Barton's kind of running mate that, that was really good too? Um, I'm trying to remember. There were two really good. Well, they had Marquise Blair at safety, but yeah, yeah. But I'm talking, I'm talking about at linebacker. There were two. yeah. He was the guy who was the converted safety. Who yeah, up. I can't. Yeah. yeah, 
I, I was trying to remember. He picked off Browning in, in 2016. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, either one of those. So when those guys were on the field together, those you you couldn't do anything in the middle of the of that defense. Kind of like what what has happened with Cal in the middle of their defense. Now that um, you know their middle linebacker, the guy from uh, Gonzaga Prep, has has moved on uh, to the NFL. So. You know, you just, you watch them. They don't fly around to the ball. They don't do, do a lot of stuff. Um, uh, they have a transfer at, uh, corner, don't they? Ebo, he, he moved over to, um, Utah from Stanford. Uh, don't know. Okay. They don't have them. Li- they, they, they oh, have, okay. The cornerbacks that are listed are Clark Phillips, who was a really heralded yep. freshman. Yep. And he's, he's gonna be really good. He'll be yeah, really another good. kid named Ch- Ch- Travis Broughton. Uh, yeah. So anyway, they but they they just don't have the kind of speed and athleticism that they've had in the past. They have size, but Washington has the size and the athleticism along their offensive line. So I think from a from an offensive standpoint, Washington should be able to run the ball, maybe not for 250 yards like they have the past couple games. But if they can be, you know, upper hundreds, you know, 180, 190 yards rushing, I think Dylan Morris will have open lanes to throw the ball all over the place. I think you could see another big game from Kate Otten. I think you could see a big game from Ty Jones down the field. Puka Nakua should have another good game. So let's, let's see what that looks like. Defensively, I think Washington should be able to get a lot of pressure on this Jake Bentley. Their, their offensive line just really struggled last week against USC, who does have a really good front with Marlon Tuipelotu and Drake Jackson and a couple of those other guys. But um, I think Washington's secondary will be able to match up pretty well against what Utah throws at them. And um, if they can get some pressure on on uh, Jake Bentley, I think it's going to be over pretty early for the, in this game. Also sounds like Puka Nakua's brother Samson is a little dinged up. We'll see if he ha- if he's able to play, but uh, Samson is one of their big playmakers, Scott. Yeah, he, uh, it looked like a knee or a, an ankle when he got tackled in the end zone, um, against, uh, USC and he got a real gimpy and I don't remember if he came back in the game, but if he did, he wasn't really that uh, effective or anything like that. Um, yeah, he's, it's funny cause you look at the two of them, they are, they're different body styles. Uh, n- the older Nakua, the one from Utah, he, Samson, he, is kind of long and lanky compared to at least he looks that way. I don't know what their size six, difference. Six three one ninety five on Samson. Yeah, and and Niku and Puka is more like six two like two hundred or it, and maybe it's not that much of a difference from a number standpoint, but he just looks a lot different. Puka, and he's got Puka's, the big fro. Puka's thicker. Puka's yeah, a lot and, thicker. Yeah, and he's got the big fro going on too, which Puka doesn't have either. So, um, yeah, I just uh, yeah I. I, I like Nakua. He's a pretty good threat and target for them. But, you know, Washington should be able to man up pretty well against that. The, a, a group of Utah wide receivers who aren't terrible, but they're they're rather pedestrian compared to what uh, Arizona throws out there. Arizona's got some really good wide receivers, and uh, they weren't able to get open against Washington's defense. I don't think Utah's is going to get open either. As long as they're disciplined, Washington should handle their offense pretty easily. Fetters, I'm going to give you a uh, Mariners uh, comparison. You ready? <laughs> sure. Back in the day, Hall of Fame pitcher Jim Palmer for the Baltimore Orioles hated playing in the Kingdom. Hated playing in the Kingdom. He would always show up mysteriously sick and not be able to pitch in the Kingdom. Britton Covey. You think he's going to mysteriously miss the game tonight against Washington? You think he's still having flashbacks? I can't believe he's still on the team. Well, I don't, I don't know if he's going to have flashbacks or if it's going to be some mystery, but it's not, he's not 100% anyway. So would it surprise me if they held him back one more week to get him healthier and, and ready to go for the rest of their season? No, wouldn't surprise me at all, but. Uh, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, because even last year, you know, he didn't play when Utah came to Seattle last year. Uh, in the end, it didn't hurt him because they won the game. But everyone does point to that 2018 game in Salt Lake City where um, that was as physical a defensive performance as, as I've ever seen, at least in the last six, seven years under Chris Peterson, now Jimmy Lake. Um, I thought the Arizona game started to get there at times. But um, nothing quite like that Utah game. I mean, and I think it's just maybe one of those things where both coaches bring it out in each other because, you know, 
Kyle Whittingham's a tough guy. I mean, he is a tough coach. He preaches toughness and discipline and all those things. So it's not going to surprise me at all if it's just in the trenches. It's going to be a bloodbath today. Um, and I do think that the, the real um, game is going to be played with Washington's offensive line against their front seven because they have guys, even though they're very young and they're replacing a lot of guys, they still have some guys along that front seven that are very experienced and we've seen before, like Mika Tafua, Max Tupai. Now, Nephi Sewell is coming from, I think he's coming from Nevada, if I remember right. But he's, you know, he's, he's a guy that had a lot of experience there. And then Devin Lloyd, obviously, is their most experienced uh, guy coming back in that linebacking crew as well. But here's the thing that I want to point out, and this is why I think there's opportunities to make hay if you're Dylan Morris looking down the field and, and hopefully can complete some of those bigger passes. You know, you look at their, uh, you know, not just their starting five, because they also use a nickel scheme as their base attack. You look at those starting five, the only start that they have combined is the start against USC. And the guys behind them, nothing. Nothing. No starts, no games played. So, I mean, well, I should take that back. They played at USC, but they didn't start. They, this is the only game that they know. So, um, you know, it's, it's crazy because there's the only thing that they have is they have a couple guys that have played in a bunch of games as maybe like special teamers, but there is absolutely zero experience depth in that, in that secondary. And that's where I think you've got to be able to try to confuse them, um, get them out of some lanes, maybe try to do some pick plays or some things where you can, you know, create some openings in space for some of your guys to make some plays. Cause I think Washington clearly has the receiver group to get it done. They just have to catch the ball. Cause I think there's going to be yards after the catch that can be had. Chris, you know, you take a look at the Oregon state game, uh, maybe look at the play sheet and then you look at the play sheet for Arizona game one to game two, game two to game three. Does that game, does that uh, play sheet expand or is that pretty much we're going to see what we saw against Arizona? Well, I think every game has has new wrinkles de- depending on who you're playing. Um, and again, for Washington, it, you, you want to try to exploit that youth in the secondary. I would think that would be an obvious place. Um, but you still have to have, you know, success in the run game initially to be able to to legitimately set up other plays. And you know, maybe some of that's going to have to be uh, going wide with some of that. Um, that sweep stuff that they've been doing, that fly motion that they've been doing with guys like Terrell Bynum and Jalen McMillan, um, Roma Dunze, you know, guys like that, that to, to try to soften things up a little bit in the middle as well. But, um, you know, I think this is going to be an income. This is going to be a huge game for not just Washington's offensive line, but also for John Donovan's scheme in this philosophy of we're going to run the ball when we need to run the ball. And if they can literally push these guys around from point A to point B, that's going to tell me an awful lot. Because I think Oregon State can be physical at times. I think Arizona has had bigger bodies than Oregon State, so they should have been able to be more physical at times. But neither team had really done it. And Washington was able to control the game, control the clock, and and move the move the ball the way they wanted to move the ball. This will be a whole different test. And if they can do that against Utah, then I will, I, I think they will have a legitimate claim to say, you know what, we can do this to anybody in the league. Cause if you can do it to the toughest team, arguably in the league, with, you know, in terms of reputation with Whittingham, then I think you can do it with, with almost anybody. And Scott, one of the things I've been waiting to see a little bit and we'll see if it comes to fruition today is, we heard great things about uh, Kevin Thompson before the year. We heard from a lot of people that he may have been the starter. But uh, is today the day where we may see uh, a series or two or maybe some situational plays by Kevin Thompson like Oregon was using Jack Coletto? Is today the day we may Oregon, see that? Yeah, Oregon State. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of it just depends. See, I, the problem is you asking me that question, Kim. I hate those things. I hate it when you, yeah, let's use a package for this guy. That's, to me, that's gimmicky. You know, if you got your starting quarterback, just run it. You know, run, run with your guy that, that you've chosen. But you hate and the Wildcat. I do. I think the Wildcat is terrible. And yes, I understand when Miles Gaskin was running it, 
it, you know, it was successful way more than it wasn't. I just, I can't stand that stuff. And call me the, the old guy, the, um, you know, get, get off, off my, my lawn guy. You are <laughs> but, that guy. But I am that guy, but I just, I hate that stuff. So that being said, Jimmy Lake has said over and over this, this, uh, basically since September, if we, um, if we need to use two guys because we feel they give us a better chance to win the game, then we're going to use two guys. I don't see how that's even possible, but if, if that's the way it goes, yeah. So, um, could it happen? Sure. Um, I think it's more likely that if Washington gets out to a decent sized lead that, uh, in the second half, like maybe sometime late third quarter, early fourth quarter, you might see Kevin Thompson come in and be your guy. Uh, the rest of the way, uh, whereas um, uh, 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 Jacob Sermon, sorry, I was blanking on the name. Jacob Sermon uh, was the guy last week, so maybe Kevin Thompson's healthy enough. I think part of it is just his health and where it's at, and can he take a, a hit? Because what what is the big thing he brings to the table that the other guys don't? And that's going to be the running. And well, if he can, if he can't take a hit, if you're worried about that. Then maybe you don't, um, maybe you don't bring him in yet. Maybe you give him another week and then you try him out against Stanford or even Oregon to finish the regular, the quote unquote regular season. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. And I think he could be an effective third down guy, um, in spots, you know, running the RPO because he can pass the ball, he can run the ball and he has experience in the big game. So I'm a little interested to see if that it does indeed happen because. This is the best team Washington's faced all year, and this is the best defensive line that Washington has probably faced. And um, I think it's a test for the offensive line as well, too, Scott. I, I still don't think that the offensive line at Washington has played great. I think they've still got more in the tank to go. So I think that's something I'm looking forward to looking at today. Yeah, I well, I mean, how do you – I guess my question would be what, what didn't they do – I'm not saying they played – like elite or anything like that, but what did they not succeed at that you thought they could have done better? Well, I just think that the, um, the Utah defensive line is going to be a lot better. I wasn't that impressed with the Arizona offensive line for sure. Defensive line. Defensive line, yeah. Yeah, so, but what didn't Washington do well? They ran for 200 and almost 250 yards. Right. Okay, well, I guess my, I mean, maybe, are you maybe saying Washington hasn't been tested that much? Yeah, I, I, I just think they, I, I think they can be better. And even though they put up the big numbers, you know, I still think that there's a lot of room for improvement yeah. there. And we'll, we'll, we'll they're going to get yeah. tested today. I think, I think that Jimmy Lake, Scott Huff, all those coaches would say that they're still, they feel like their guys are just now starting to get in the rhythm of playing a team that, that doesn't know the plays. And, and, um, maybe you don't know exactly what they're going to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's always things you can work on and, and, and room for improvement. I don't think any team has ever, you know, Jimmy Lake has said it several times. There's mistakes made in every game and we got to clean up mistakes. And then the next week, there's a different mistake that's made that we got to work on. So I think Washington definitely has some room to grow. I, I think this offensive line has played pretty darn well. You know, the guy who I think has really found his place, not that I thought he was terrible. I think he got kind of a bad rap on a lot of things. But Luke Wattenberg at left guard was, I thought, pretty good. I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was even really an all-conference kind of guy. But the way he's been playing at center, and Chris, maybe you'll agree with me. I don't know. I mean, you're obviously, you're, you're welcome to your own opinion on this. But I thought Luke Wattenberg has played two really good games. Yes, I think he's played very good. Um, I think he's still obviously creating that rapport with, with Dylan Morris. And that will get better as the season goes along. Um, the only thing that I would say about Kevin Thompson is that we just don't know how much, um, you know, work he got in during fall camp. Not sure when, you know, if in, when this injury happened, whatever it was. Um, you know, we don't know anything about it. So we don't know how much of the offense was being catered to a guy like Kevin Thompson. We don't know how much is in there in terms of what they ran, how much they repped it. So if they let's say let's say he got dinged up like the week of the first game, the the, the cow I'm talking about the cow game. Let so let's say that happened, and then they had to readjust, and then they went with Dylan full time. And I'm just because like I said, I'm just spitballing. We don't know. 
Um, so there's so much unknown out there. There could be a lot on Kevin Thompson's plate that he's already absorbed and they've already repped a ton that if he's available to play, why wouldn't you throw him in there for a series just to see what he could do? Because I, I guarantee you, I, I don't think Utah would know what was coming. And if you feel like you could use it to your advantage, I go back to what Scott said. That's what Jimmy Lake wants. It, it doesn't matter if you use one, two, three quarterbacks, whatever gives them the best chance to win the game and, and, and to showcase what they're doing successfully, then I think you throw them in there. Um, do I think you do it just because you want to experiment? No. That's never been a good reason to do anything like right. that. But if, but if there's a lot on that plate and Kevin Thompson was supposed to be the guy, and he's ready to go. I think you got. I think you got to showcase it. And it, and it, and maybe there's going to be a time in the game, second quarter, third quarter, whatever, where all of a sudden, you know, maybe that switch up is going to be something that really works well. Maybe it's something where you get a sense that Utah's defense is starting to dial in on Washington's game plan. They've made their adjustments. They're starting to have some success. Do you throw in a guy like Kevin Thompson at that point? To really throw them another curveball, maybe you do. Maybe that's something you, you you give serious thought to. Yep. Hey, Chris, one of the things that's been really interesting this year, and I don't think anybody saw this coming. I knew, I think people knew that they had talent at running back, but I don't think people saw the rotation and playing, you know, four running backs at the beginning of the year. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, it's a different skill set with these running backs, with Sean McGrew being a lot smaller, being a lot quicker. Cam Davis has turned into, you know, with through two games, the guy that they depend on out of the backfield to catch the ball. I thought last week uh, Kamari Pleasant took a big jump forward, being that physical running back. And Richard Newton, the slow guy that some people thought turned on the afterburner and ripped off a long set of runs. Which one of those running backs do you think fits this game plan the best against Utah? Or is it just a matter of let's soften them up and hit them hard? Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, – if you look at those top three guys first, because Cameron Davis has had 10 carries, whereas Pleasant's had 18, McGrew's had 20, Newton's had 23. They're all averaging over five yards a carry. McGrew's averaging over six yards a carry. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter who you put in there. They've had some semblance of success. Um, Newton's the only one that's really ripped off a big run to kind of pad those stats a little bit. I mean, McGrew's long run's been 27, Pleasant's has been 21, but they've each scored two touchdowns each. So they've shown balance there. John Donovan and Keith Bonafide, they, they've been putting in different guys in different situations and they've had success. So I don't think, I don't, I don't know if there's really a way to do it other than Jimmy Lake did admit after the Oregon State game near the end of the game, they probably should have gone to Sean McGrew a little bit more and maybe you score touchdowns instead of, of settling for field goals in those situations. So Sean McGrew might be that guy, Kim. Um, I think he's the one guy that I think you could really throw in there as a change of pace guy. He's a guy that can play behind the offensive line, and he can take advantage of maybe some, some linebackers missing some gaps, not fitting the run correctly, not reading their keys correctly. I think he's the one, the one guy that probably has enough um, quickness and can do that kind of those one-jump cuts and, and some of those things to uh, gaining advantage right in the hole, and then he's shown the patience as well. I think with with Richard Newton and Kamari Pleasant in the hole right now, you're getting guys that have good burst and can get in there, but I'm not sure they're necessarily avoiding contact and, and can get skinny at times the way McGrew can. So if, if you're asking me who I think they should probably go to, I, I'd be most curious about Sean McGrew at this point. And Sean, you, I mean, um, Scott, you've heard me talk about packages plenty of times. Different players are in on different packages, and it seems like two different packages that we have established through the first two games is that if they want to throw the ball out of the backfield, um, that Cameron Davis is probably the most reliable receiver. But more importantly, when it comes down to third down and they need some pass protection in the backfield, Kamari Pleasant sure seems to be the guy. Yeah, right now, I mean, he's playing really well. Sean, Sean McGrew knows what to do, and I think he's gotten better as a blocker, but he is not what he, – he doesn't have enough lead in the pencil to really take on that 240-pound middle linebacker who's coming right at him that he needs to take on. Um, it doesn't mean he can't get it done because Miles Gaskin didn't. Miles Gaskin was much bigger than Sean McGrew is, but, uh, boy, I – 
I really would much rather see Kamari Pleasant in there, and it looks like he's really gotten dialed in. One of the things, and you guys have been talking to Keith Bonifa as long as I've been talking to Keith Bonifa, he he stresses. He said, "A guy will not play for me if he can't pass pro." And until that happens, guys aren't going to see as many reps. Now, maybe Cam Davis is is a guy who's getting better at it, but he's not quite there yet, and they want to make sure they can protect their quarterback. And um, a guy like Richard Newton is pretty good at it, but not quite there yet. So Kamari Pleasant and Sean McGrew are probably your guys in those situations. Scott, when it comes to pass protection with running backs, how much of it is instinct, how much of it is talent, and how much of it is want to? I think that's the it's the first and the third more than anything. I mean, talent. You, I mean, you have to be able to move and get to the right guys, but you also have to understand. You have to have better. You have to have good instincts. You have to have the film study to know, hey, this guy's going to loop. Yeah, where's it coming from? If this guy's looping around, I need to be there to take him on, whether it's a defensive end, a defensive tackle, or a linebacker. And so um, I think, but I really do think it's the want to because, hey, you know. Blocking is a physical, physical, um, uh, thing. It's, it's, especially when you're outweighed by the guy by, you know, 20 or 30 pounds. Now, one of the things that I think that people don't, because they don't get to go to practice as much, one of my, I like, I like the nine on seven in the run game thing that they, that they do in practice. And my second favorite one is the, um, the drill where they have kind of those fake linemen set up, uh, the, the dummies set up and the linebacker has to come through on a blitz and the line and the running back is expected or, or the tight end or the H back is expected to pick him up and block him by himself as the quarterback reads the field. And man, I, you see some huge collisions in those and, and you can tell those linebackers love it a lot more than those running backs do because those linebackers are all about contact, whereas running backs like the contact when they have the ball in their hands. I don't think they like it when they don't. Is there any moment on a younger running back that you maybe go, okay, you got school. Just oh, absolutely. Up. There, there's who? been plenty. You guys have been watching it with us. Give me a name. Who got blown up? Um, well, I mean, I've seen Sean, it happened to Sean McGrew a couple times. Um, I do remember, uh, LeVon Coleman when he was first, when he was a brand new freshman and I can't remember who it is, but somebody came up and took his helmet off. Like right as he came in on the, on the, on the, uh, pass rush. And it was, it was, I was like, wow. <laughs> and I think that if, if I sat down with LeVon Coleman, five years from now and had a, what was your welcome to college moment? That would definitely have been it in my opinion. I remember back in the day, my um, brother played running back and uh, our team was pretty good back then. And he was supposed to stay in a pass protection and he whiffed the block. So the next play, the coach called a handoff to my brother and told the offensive line not to block for him. <laughs> he got killed. Wow. Yeah. He got killed. But uh, Miles Gaskin was really underrated at that, Scott. Is, is he one of the best we've had back there? Yeah, considering that he wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but he just, he had a good, he had a, he, he gave himself a good base. He, he was low to the ground. So, um, he always had a good base, was able to absorb any guy coming in on him. He wasn't perfect. There were a few misses here and there over his four years at the University of Washington, but I would say he was one of the better guys I've seen blocking at the University of Washington as far as running backs are concerned. Hey, Chris, do you remember any uh, running back getting blown up in drills? Are there any moments that jump out at you? No, other than usually the the, the true freshman. Even Welcome the bigger to college guys. football moment. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they all have that one where they're they're probably a little too high up. They're, they're probably a little too exposed. And they're ready to basically try to take the contact on, but they have no technique and, because they, they've never been asked to do it. I mean, so that, that is definitely one of the, one of the welcome to college football moments because they're being asked to do something. You might as well ask them what it's like to be on Mars. I mean, they've never had to do it before. They've never been in that situation. Um, but you know, heck, I, I think it was the Arizona game. Maybe it was the Oregon State game, but I think it was the Arizona game. I saw MJ Ale, um, get blown up where he got pancaked. I mean, and that's a guy who's 355, 60 pounds. So it can happen to, to pretty much anybody when you're going up in a one-on-one situation and the guy across from you gets, you know, leverage and knows how to use it. Anybody can get blown up. So it, it's, it's a matter of how you react to it. 
and 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 how you take care of your business the next time out that will really spell the tale on on stuff like that. Hey, quick word from our sponsors, and when we return, want to talk a couple of the games that were played yesterday. Oregon at uh, Oregon State and Stanford and Cal. We'll do that and wrap it up. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. We're back. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Kim Reynolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and Friday night game, Oregon and Oregon State. And then yesterday afternoon, Cal and Stanford. Cal misses an extra point. They go in to attempt to tie the football game, scoring a late touchdown. <laughs> they miss a point after touchdown. It, uh, it was blocked, you know, like you said, right? Yeah, it was blocked. Yeah, yeah, it was blocked, and I mean, I I saw the the I saw that part. It was blocked, and they had the the one right before the half too. That was like a what a thirty five yard attempt, whatever it was, that was blocked as well. I mean, that's a four point swing right there. You lose the game by one point. So yeah. brutal. Stanford comes into Washington next week, and Cal travels to Oregon, and um, I think Cal's been missing quite a bit of guys, especially not being able to practice with COVID. Their restrictions down there are a lot more strict than other schools in the conference, but Cal, 0-3, boy, are they struggling. Yeah, I, I mean, well, the thing is, I didn't see, I thought they would, they would be a little bit better defensively, but man, uh, losing that guy in the middle, for them, just is brutal, just absolutely brutal. I mean, he he covered up Evan Weaver covered up so many, so many um, mistakes that that maybe the Cal defensive front made, and uh, you're not seeing that now. And he and they're getting exposed in the middle of their defense. Their their secondary is still pretty darn good. I love Cameron Bynum. He reminds me so much of of. Um, uh, Marcus Peters, when he was at the University of Washington, just the way he carries himself, the way he plays, might not be quite as long as Marcus Peters was, but still have the same kind of game. Um, he is an exceptional cornerback, and um, the fact that he could have gone pro this last year after last season, decided not to, comes back, and instead of opting out and and uh, saving himself for next year decides to play. That just tells you that guy likes to compete, and he just really loves playing college football and loves playing for Justin Wilcox. So um, I thought their I thought their defense would be a little bit better than they than they are. Um, and uh, man, go, moving over to the offensive side, um, you know Chase Garbers is so good with the ball when he's running when he's running, man, he hurts teams. And they, um, Petros Papadakis made, made the, uh, point that last year when, um, who was their, uh, offensive, Bo Baldwin was the offensive coordinator last year. Um, when he was there, they called runs for Chase Garbers. But now with, uh, is it Musgrave that's the quarterbacks yeah. or the, the OC there? OC. They're, they're not calling runs for Garbers. He's just making plays with his legs when things aren't open down the field on scrambles and on broken plays. And honestly, I like that much more for a quarterback than I do running him. I would much prefer him to be a threat when he's, when he's dropped back as a passer and then escaping the pocket rather than just having him as a runner and taking all of those hits. Chris, going into that game, Oregon was 2-0. Um, they didn't impress a lot of people at that 2-0, and and I think a lot of people expected Oregon to take a big jump improvement game-wise against Oregon State. We just didn't see it those first two games. That's pretty much who they were. They were 3-0, and weren't they? Were they 3-0? and Yeah, they were 3-0. and Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't – I mean, I guess you could say that. I mean – you know, I mean, they hadn't really played anybody of note. So, I mean, it was just, it was one of those things where they played, first of all, they played Stanford and Stanford clearly hadn't gotten their, their, you know, everything together. They were playing without their starting quarterback. 
and then they go to Washington State, and okay, you got new system and all that kind of stuff, but they were able to kind of avenge a loss uh, the last time they played at Martin Stadium, and then they went and played UCLA at home, which should have been uh, kind of a, an easy win for them, and that's where you started to see some of the cracks because you, you, UCLA was playing their second string. Uh, quarterback and he came in and kind of torched them a little bit and it took, uh, you know, they only won by three points. So you could tell that things weren't necessarily clicking like they needed to click, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You know, they had gone from giving up 14 against Stanford to 29 against Washington State to 35 against UCLA. I mean, these are poor trends. You know, the, the trend needs to be going in the other direction. And so, um, you know, can I say I was a little shocked by what I saw last night with Oregon State? Not really. Only in the sense that I think, you know, Jonathan Smith is, is getting better and better as a coach and as a play caller. And, um, I think that, uh, there were some moments where you could certainly have questioned what he was doing, like the fourth down call in the, in the second quarter when they were on their, on their side of the 50 and it, it, it didn't look like it was going to be necessarily a no brainer pickup. And, um, you know, tried to throw the ball to get it and didn't happen. And, you know, that turns the tide. And all of a sudden Oregon gets kind of a quick three points before the half. And you're thinking, okay, that, that might spell a difference. But, um, as it turned out, um, Jamar Jefferson just ran all over him and he was able to use, uh, Jefferson to kind of get some play action things going on down the field with Musgrave and, um, you know, was able to pull out a pretty interesting win, even though that last drive with Oregon State, um, if you're the Pac-12 and you, that, that series has to go to the office to see how you make heads or tails out of the officiating decisions. I mean, they had one play, guys, where both teams lost timeouts. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, yeah, it was an absolute mess and a catastrophe from start to finish. Um, if, if you're rooting against Oregon, you're thanking God or whoever your your higher power is that it worked out the way you did. If you root for Oregon, you're probably feeling a bit of grief, but at the same time, you're probably not feeling super bad about it because your defense really buckled in the moments where they had to stand tall, and they, they didn't do that at all. Oregon next week uh, plays Cal and expect a hungry Cal team. And then the week after that, Oregon has Washington. Next week, Washington has uh, Stanford. And Stanford coming off a nice victory over Cal. And then Washington goes uh, down to Eugene to uh, finish off the regular season. So some things to look forward to. But, Scott, a couple things. There's some new stuff going on in recruiting. Let's update people with a little bit what's going on. A couple of kickers offered preferred walk-on slots as well as a couple of out-of-state kids who were up here on unofficial visits were offered scholarships of the 2022 class. Yeah, Sir Mel's a defensive tackle from Liberty High School in Henderson and Anthony Jones, a tight end defensive end out of the same high school. Uh, they're um, teammates of 2022 wide receiver commit Jeremy Bernard. And uh, the, so those three were up here a couple weeks ago. And, man, they – I, I honestly am a little surprised Sir Mel's was offered when he was. Um, I thought they might wait on him a little bit more. Um, but now, according to Blair Angulo, he has some film on him that hasn't been released yet because the film I saw from his sophomore season, he looked okay. He didn't look great. He didn't look like the penetrating defensive tackle that you're looking for when you offer a guy early. But uh, it sounds like he's he had a really good offseason. What, Kim? And I didn't say anything. Oh, <laughs> I thought you said something. Sorry about that. No, I moved my chair. My uh, chair creaked. Okay, well, um, and then uh, the two kickers, I'm actually looking for the uh, thread because I don't remember the names of them, but both of them are walk-on guys. One guy is from Simi Valley, I think, and there they are right there. Um, it is um, Jarrett North, and he's a kicker, and then Jack Stackhouse or I'm sorry, Stonehouse, Jack Stonehouse, who is a uh, punter from both of them are, I believe, from California. Right. So, Anything else on recruiting we need to update, Scott? Um, not a ton. You know, Sir Mel's and Anthony Jones both got offered, like we said, 
on Thanksgiving Day, and they were both really excited about it. Um, Blair Angulo put in uh, confidence level eight crystal balls for him. I think it's only a matter of time before both of them commit to the University of Washington. As long as the Huskies want them, I think they're going to get them. Um, Sir Mel's even said in his uh, tweet when he announced his offer that uh, I'm so thankful for my for my future uh, defensive line coach in, in, in Kaiko Malloy to give me the offer. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of time before we see something happen with those guys um, here in the next, you know, I'd say two, three, maybe four months. I know they both would like to get out and visit some schools, but they're not going to be able to visit schools at least um, where they sit down with the coaches and, and, and get tours and all that stuff until after April 4th or April 15th. So um, they might still visit some schools, but it'll be unofficial visits where they just tour the campus by themselves and, and see the city and everything, get a feel for it. But uh, I think Washington's in a really good spot with both of those guys. Other than that, Emeka Egbuka, I think, is trending Washington's way. I know if he had to make the choice today, I doubt they'd be the choice. But I just think with the way Washington's played, if they can go through and win the, the conference title, even in this shortened, weird year that we're having – um, and teams, you know, struggling to get even six games played. I think Washington's in a good spot for him. If they win that conference title, I think Washington's going to be in a really good spot for him. If he sees how wide open their offense can be when it needs to be, I think Washington's going to be his choice. Uh, JT Tumalau, like I said earlier, I just, I just don't see it happen. And I'm not saying it can't. Okay. But man, I, just things are not trending Washington's way in that respect. Wrapping it up, Scott, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. I think Washington's off to a really good start here. They've improved both weeks that they've played. Obviously, just one game in between. But uh, I think Washington's going to be, you know, I, I'd really like to see another step up in improvement. This is a step up in competition compared to the first two teams they've played. They should be able to go out and win this one. I, I would say rather easily, especially with not having their starting quarterback and first start for this guy, Jack Bentley. But uh, in the long run, I think Washington's got, got the more speed, more talent. I think they're they're um, probably comparable from a coaching standpoint. And um, I think Washington's going to come out of this game tonight 3-0. and and uh, be poised to, if they can win two more games, go to that conference title game and possibly win a third conference title in, what, five, six years, whatever it is. Final thoughts, Chris Fetters. Yeah, a couple things. Um, first of all, just on, on the recruiting thing with Sir Mills and, and Anthony Jones, I think because the, the dead period has been moved until mid-April, I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of um, unofficial visits where guys are maybe hosted by other people, like other recruits and things like that. Because, I mean, there was a picture out there where Sir Mel's and Anthony Jones were out there doing 7-on-7 seven seven stuff with, with Sam Heward. Emeka Ibuka was in there as well. Um, I think Junior Alexander was part of that group too. So, there, you know, there were there's a number of things that these guys can do to kind of create some camaraderie if they feel really strongly about a school. So I think, you know, you kind of can read between the lines, I think, a little bit when you see a Sir Mel's or an Anthony Jones or someone from outside of the of the region coming up to visit, that there's obviously really strong interest on their part, but there's also really strong interest on Washington's part to kind of try to get a feel from other parties maybe third parties and how you're, you're starting to see how things are having to be done during like with surrogates almost. And, and, and I find that to be kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, the other thing that I would want to address too is, is the thing that Scott talked all the way in the beginning about in terms of how, um, you know, there's been this narrative played. And I know Rod Gilmore talked about this a lot during the, the Oregon, Oregon state game. How with Oregon losing the game, they, well, the Pac-12 doesn't really have a rep that can, that can jump high enough into the rankings to be a serious contender for the playoff. And I'm trying to reconcile that with the idea that right now Ohio State's in the playoff. They're number four and they've played four games as of this weekend. If Washington wins against Utah today, they will have played three games. Ohio State has a maximum of seven games that they can play in their season if they go all the way to the Big Ten Championship and they win the Big Ten Championship game. Washington, if they follow the same path and they go undefeated all the way through 
and play in the in the Pac-12 championship game, they will have played six games. You're honestly telling me one game is going to be the difference if, in fact, Washington can beat a ranked Oregon team by the time they play and then a ranked, what would it be, probably Colorado or USC when it comes down to it in the, in the Pac-12 championship game. Because we've all been told that, that the number of games isn't going to be a determinant factor. And we've already seen how much of a dumpster fire the polls have been already. So I, I'm, I'm sitting here really trying to reconcile these thoughts in my head that a Big Ten representative that's going to happen, that's going to have maybe one extra data point who's already number four. And what happens if they lose? Now is all of a sudden Northwestern going to come in because they're number eight right now? And they have actually played more games than Ohio State. Should they already be more deserving than the Buckeyes? I mean, there are so many twists and turns and strands to this thing. Uh, but I'm really trying to figure out why the Pac-12 is going to get shut out, potentially, if a team like Washington or USC, for instance, or Colorado, can go in and do their job and come out of it completely unscathed. I will say this, too, Kim, to finish. Jimmy, I asked the same question to Jimmy Lake on Wednesday about the playoff. And he said flat out, he goes, if we do our business and we win all our games and we come out of this as Pac-12 champions and we're undefeated, I will absolutely answer a question about whether or not we should be in the, in the college football playoff. Your flaw, you Chris, is, you know your flaw is you're, li- you're listening to Rod Gilmore. Yeah, but you know what, you know what his answer is going to be. Yeah. Well, wait a second, Kim. It wasn't Rod Gilmore who just said it. Scott Eklund just said it. So, so it's a national is, perception. That's exactly the this is this yeah, is I, something that, that, that a lot of people are talking about, and, and I want to know how they can talk about it right now that and, way. And I think that that's why it's key to have this game at four thirty on ABC, where a lot of the country is going to get a firsthand look of the University of Washington. I think if they put an impressive game, expect a Big jump by Washington, probably into the top 15. And then uh, if they're able to win their next two games and beat Oregon and then go into that championship game, hopefully against an undefeated USC, I think that there's still a path there. So I, I wouldn't. Think they were in the, they were what, 26th in the AP? Weren't they the first team getting no. votes out of the top 25? Something like that. The, yeah. So yeah, so they could, if they could win big, they should easily be in the top 20, maybe pushing top 15, but you're, you're a hundred percent right, Kim. And I think that's how Jimmy Lake is going to couch it. He's not going to talk about polls. He's not going to talk about how they can make a statement on national television, but he is going to say with everything going on in the conference right now, our path is clear. We have been given an opportunity to stake our claim. Can you say We've that? Got to take it. Can you say that 100% thing again? I like the sound of that. I know you think it, but you just don't say it out loud that that often. What did you say, the 100% thing? What do you mean? That was 100% right. I'm saying that you are 100% right in the sense that this game gives people a, a You didn't have to stage. qualify. Just leave it at that. That's fine. That's good. <laughs> wow. Fragile <laughs> e- egos here today on yeah. Saturday. Okay, fair enough. Hey, just a reminder, the basketball team has a game tomorrow. Sounds like it's 3 o'clock. We don't know uh, TV. We just haven't gotten any information on that. As soon as we have it, we will get it out to your guys. Mike Hopkins and crew landed in Vegas last night, so looking forward to that. And um, also, if you're looking, just a reminder, if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note. HuskyStadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will hook you up. HuskyStadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. Also, if you are listening to our podcast, if you are a regular listener, if you are a regular visitor to dogman.com, but you do not subscribe, only time we're going to do it this year. Best value of the year. 75% off a new annual subscription. Um, it's a screaming deal. I mean, that's just a great deal. You won't be disappointed. And for those who just look at our front page and say, why would I pay for all that information? If you're just looking at the front page, you're missing 80% what our site's about. You want to go to the hardcore football, hardcore basketball, and hardcore recruiting boards. That's where the good stuff is. That's where we kind of hide everything. So uh, take a look at that. 75% off through Monday. So that's the best value of the year. 
Um, again, kickoff tonight at 4.30. Sounds weird saying tonight instead of this afternoon, but 4.30 kickoff uh, this afternoon. Basketball game tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock, it looks like, and hopefully we'll have some TV for that. Won't be competing with the Seahawks either. They don't play till Monday night. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds along with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.